When nine-year-old Maya Kowalski was admitted to Johns Hopkins All Children's Hospital in 2016, nothing could have prepared her or her family for what they were about to go through. As the medical team tried to understand her rare illness, they began to question the basic truths that bound the Kowalskis together. Suddenly, Maya was in state custody, despite two parents who were desperate to bring their daughter home. I'm Danielle. And I'm Raleigh. And this is Unstuck, the special ed podcast. Happy summer, Ross. Oh, heck yeah. It's, uh, we haven't gotten summer, summer weather. We have. I think we have. A little bit. It's been a very, very rainy. We got some summer and spring. Some spring and summer. That's, that's, that's what happens fair. in the Northeast. That's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, welcome to Unstuck. Thanks. Uh, that quote came from, <laughs> <laughs> that quote came from, uh, a recent documentary from Netflix called, uh, Take Care of Maya. Take Care of Maya. I cannot remember the name of my life um and it really i mean what spoiler alert for those who haven't seen it yet but highly recommended oh should we yeah if you don't if you don't want to spoil it advance this a few seconds a few i don't know um but we're we're, overall we're going to be talking about how inconsistent inequitable state systems and then you know how it relates to special education um are in this country um not only depending on where you live, but also just in general, doctor to doctor and things like that. So um, you can fast forward a couple of ticks. We're going to talk a little bit about Take Care of Maya to drive us into this conversation. Mm-hmm. So I think what I found so disheartening in, in this documentary is just the fact that parents were really trying to do the right thing. And obviously with the extreme nature of the medical care that they were providing to her. So obviously the prescription and the the amount, um, again, spoiler, the ketamine, um, she had a diagnosis of CRPS, I believe. It's mm-hmm. not CPRS, CRPS. CRPS, I think. And this was the solution that the family had found to be the most effective for her to keep her from being in severe pain, to give her back mobility and range of motion and just weight bearing. She wasn't able to walk when things were getting really severe. And when it's when she had an incident that required her to go to the hospital, the emergency room, doctors there were very perplexed as to what was wrong with her. And obviously then that t- that goes to the, the, the takes a turn where mom is saying she needs this level of ketamine and doctors are saying that sounds too aggressive, something we would never do. Maybe you're making it up, maybe the child is making it up. And so essentially it takes this course where a group of doctors at this um, Johns Hopkins facility in Florida are determining the course of action for a child that despite parents saying what has worked for her and outside doctors not affiliated with the hospital saying what's best for her and what has been successful. And because the mom was very tenacious and assertive, they labeled that as somebody who clearly is aggressive or has something to hide or is doing something by proxy yes munchausen by proxy so something malicious is occurring when she's trying to get you know the right care for her daughter and so it had when i watched it it had me thinking about families and you know again bringing it back to more special education or education and not necessarily medically based but knowing that there are some families who have the economic ability to seek out doctors and get information that other people may not get so they can get certain testing and certain information or diagnoses that influence what they're getting in school that other 
kids and parents and families don't have that ability to do. And what struck me about that documentary, which again, put it into perspective that it's not one place, right? It's not just Florida. Although they did talk about the high instances in that particular County. Well, they said the department of children and families, when the, the woman in uh, the journalist in Florida wrote the article about this family, people from all over the country were reaching out to her to say that the same type of thing had happened to them. So that's how this kind of blew up too, is that other families were saying, well, I was in jail for someone thinking my child's medical diagnosis was me being abusive, me having Munchausen by proxy, um, or fictitious disorder or whatever you want to call it. I think there was one guy who was an adult and his dad was still incarcerated for something that happened and had been for 26 years. And this, this kid was was an adult he was out of the system Mm -hmm. and working and and to me and there were states that were represented where i wouldn't think this would ever happen and so it just it brings it back to like how how are we consistent in not only in school districts in the community in the county in but like you know the department of education puts out this idea these regulations but they're left to be interpreted by individual states now i'm not saying that's right or wrong but is there any um from a special education perspective to tie this all together is there any like overarching um anyone watching it to like make Mm -hmm. sure if i move to connecticut Uh, I'm going to get the same treatment. And I know for a fact that there are certain states kids move into that we've gotten both in our work together, but Mm -hmm. I've recently gotten too in the district I work in where the, (laughs) what the student is getting in another state. I'm like, that is absolutely insane. Either they're too, they're having, there are too many services Mm -hmm. or there aren't enough service for these particular kids. So, well, and I think it puts a lot of onus on the educators to have to, especially if it is like something connected more to an IEP service or, you know, somebody is pushing for something that the, the specialists within the school setting don't necessarily agree with, but you're getting this report from somebody who has big credentials and a big title and that's seemingly to be more regarded than the experts that are working with that child. I've had this happen numerous times. I know I've uh, brought it up on this uh, other episodes of getting like neuropsychological testing and and having somebody decide based on information from just one source maybe it's a parent guardian they're not necessarily looking at robust information that they're getting from everybody working with the student um you know i've had cases where doctors are prescribing something or they're diagnosing something because a parent has gone in and given their account of what they think is going on with their child but there's not more information it may not even be an assessment of the child him or herself it may not be conversations with any outside parties other than the family so you're so again it almost the flip of what happened with maya where the family may not be giving the right information but then somebody writes this report a doctor neuropsychologist writes it or psychiatrist neuropsychiatrist Mm -hmm. Psychologist, psychiatrist, yeah, it yeah tomato, tomato, yeah, whatever. They write this report, and now they've recommended something, and it, and it becomes hard to dispute what that person is saying. Well, and there's no, like you said, there's no consultation to anyone working with the student. There's no, um, or if no, it is, and it's contrary to what the family's looking for, yeah, too. They'll leave out specific families at times, not saying all the time or whatever. Um, will purposely not reach out to the school to get their input. Mm-hmm. And I also think, what to me, one of a fatal flaw of a neuropsych report is the fact that they do, I don't know, I, I'm not, I did not go get my doctorate in neuropsychology or anything like that, but I do think there's a missing component when you're talking about um, 
the world outside of your psychological testing. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like if I'm a neuropsychologist, I'm going to want input if I'm doing a bot, an OT eval, mm-hmm. or an OT test. Or VMI. Or VMI. Like, I'm going to want... Uh, an OT to help me interpret that. Well, I think certainly you want someone to help you interpret it if you're looking at, because I think, you know, I think these evaluations are critically important. They're getting a lot of different pieces. They're looking at a lot of assessments. They're synthesizing that information and they're making it really usable for people. But I think what happens is we take the stock of that one individual. So again, relating it back to this documentary, there was a doctor that was part of an organization in Florida specifically that was a for-profit that was able to um, come in and kind of give an opinion based on what she felt was happening. That was superseding what others were saying about this child, even though the other adult, other adults, other providers and other doctors were saying, she has this diagnosis, she's been treated, I'm the one treating her, this is what she needs. This doctor comes in from Florida and says, or from this organization and says, this is my opinion. And judges were taking that opinion. And I think that's the part that is really tricky when we're taking one person's opinion over getting more diverse information and trying to then synthesize that. And this may, you know, sorry if this comes across a little harsh, but you're paying a lot of money for these evaluations to happen. They should have the most accurate picture you could get Mm -hmm. of how a student is functioning. And especially if you're going to relate it to school and not just about how they are outside of school, there should be school personnel information involved in it. Well, and that's why I think we're fortunate, um, you know, in the places that I've worked that we in Massachusetts have the say of like, well, we're as a district or as a school, we're going to conduct our own evaluations before considering these neuropsychs. So that way we force our own input Mm -hmm. and we're guided by the state and supported by the state and being able to do that, which I... Uh, very much value and appreciate that we have that opportunity. And I don't think that's consistent across the country. I also think, too, more than 50% of the time to go off like uh, that families can go wherever they want and spend a lot of money, I can tell you more than 50% of the time when I receive a neuropsych or some sort of report just by the name of the doctor, whether or not that that I'm going to find it valuable or not. Mm -hmm. Because there are your consistent doctors who we get evals from and we're like oh right but but i think there has to come some accountability for mm-hmm. or or some oversight oversight that's maybe that's I'm a good word for. yeah the equ- or equity like so yes this person evaluated and gave their opinion but we're also valuing the opinions of the teacher and the ot and the speech pathologist and the reading specialist we're not just saying this person did an eval on these dates given information from a parent or some other outside source that's not working with the child in school I, as the the tester, formed an opinion or formed recommendations that I'm now pushing to the school to do, and the school is saying, hold on a second, we're seeing a completely different kid than what you've described. Now, how do we compromise on that? Well, and there, and, and for me, I think there's some, in some instances, I'm like, this is not least restrictive for a kid. So we're not providing them with a free and appropriate public education as regulated by the country. So it's like, you're telling me this kid who's that in a That sounds gen- important when you say something like regulated right. by the country. Re- regulated by the United States of America. Wow. Regulated by Woo. under IDEA. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, and it should be, and it should be, the problem is there's no accountability. So there's no, like, people can throw, a doctor can say, this kid needs a sub-separate or therapeutic setting outside the school with a high staff to student ratio like it's so specific that you know that it's coming directly from like 
a parent who's like, this, my kid needs a therapeutic setting. When that is a highly separated, like it just sometimes for kids and you know it as well as I do, especially where you're, I think probably seeing it a lot more Mm -hmm. post COVID, these kids who don't belong in these settings and are learning behaviors that are antisocial that are you know like oh i see other this other kid beating someone up to get attention and so now i'm gonna do it and so yeah these things that are happening before aren't um it's it's further harming the kid well i i also think about it in the terms of like if someone said you know your kid has well considering maya again this diagnosis your kid has this do you just want to try especially if it's something really in, you know, significant, it's going to cause a lot of disruption to this child's life, your family's life. It's going to be very expensive. She's going to be in pain. Do you want more than one person giving you that information? So this family, for example, went to many people before they found the guy that said, oh, it's this diagnosis. Do you want to just trust that first person and say, well, they don't know what's wrong with her. So I guess that's all we can do. You want more people, and that sounds, it can get clunky if you have too many people, but I think just trusting one person to organize and produce all this information based on a child, thats that seems to be a really limiting factor. I, I don't, I, I think you have to incorporate others. And if you're not doing that, I think that we should start acknowledging that that's not an effective document for all areas considered that maybe we have to not the pieces of it can't be relevant but we should not be taking it as the entire thing is what we're doing and there's no questions asked and there's no ability to have a difference of opinion well and there shouldn't be like if if and i say this as nicely as possible but if families want you know what's best for their kid and i know that they do so it's not about but it's like if they really want like a holistic perspective on the kid they'll willingly say yeah if you want to do extra vows to make sure that you have it right from this doctor mm-hmm. then and what we get many times is like why you should just consider this it's this doctor it's mm-hmm. this person mm-hmm. it's like okay that's great and i'm and they're very knowledgeable but we need a holistic perspective to be able to determine whether or not this kid is eligible for services or needs whatever and another thing, I think there needs to be some systems to create equitable resources, especially for like different communities. Like people have resources in the more affluent communities to be able to afford these independent neuropsychs. I'm not saying, you know, whatever, but like there's no system for that. Communities of color, low income communities don't get any, they get what they get and they don't get upset. Which right. Is well, they do get upset. Which, so like to the yeah. opposite of what we've been talking about is also unfair because Correct. they don't always get what they they're under right not so the bottom line is that not every kid is getting the same thing and if you have the influence the affluence to procure yourself an assessment that's going to get you the services that you think your child needs you can pursue that and then because of this we are sitting together in a meeting with someone who's paid outside of the school system who it comes in and says this is what's happening and we all have to acquiesce to that person's expertise sure but again i i struggle to accept the idea that you have expertise in something that you have not looked at the full picture like you may have expertise in how to test and how to interpret and that's fantastic and what recommendations might be useful you certainly don't have expertise to tell an ot or a speech pathologist how much service delivery they should be providing every week how much reading support should be happening. That is not up to someone who's assessing a kid. In my opinion, this is me, only me, my opinion, that should not be up to a person assessing a kid a couple of times. 
who maybe has met them once or twice, whose parent is influencing or giving information. And that, that, um, psychiatrist or psychologist has not reached out to anyone working with the kid in school to say, how are they functioning? And are you concerned? This is what parent says. Are you also equally concerned? Is that why we're doing this? And again, some people it's, it's a, we're all sitting in a meeting saying this, a neuropsychological report would be indicated here. Let's have it done. And everybody in that meeting agrees that, and then you're getting checklists. I've certainly had those where the teacher's filling out checklists about the student's performance in the class. Maybe I'm filling them out about something regarding OT or life skills. Maybe a speech pathologist is, is filling it out for pragmatic language. That to me is what is more indicated and more appropriate for determining then what the recommendation should be and what should actually be implemented. Not someone deciding unilaterally to make that decision. Well, maybe this is a conversation for another day. Okay. Um, but I, like, <laughs> you know, cause I think we're specifically talking about the evaluations we're talking about over service and under service. It's a large conversation. It does make me wonder sometimes like where, how communities got to that place where where families feel the need to have to go to that route of a neuropsychologist, like where was the where was the trust? Because in my or the loss of trust, like mm-hmm. in my mind, I think most people are in this field for kids, and I think there's a handful that aren't. But like, where does I don't know? I get, that's a conversation for another day. But I'm like, there's this whole piece of like, why are why are why do they feel that? And sometimes it's the parents don't get their way mm-hmm. after all the other you know right. pe- all the asks and things like that and all the data that the school provides, and then there's a piece of me that feels like sometimes people hear things about families or hear things about and the mm-hmm. family don't get, they don't get the supports that they need. I don't know. Well, and realistically too, I, again, I've been in plenty of meetings where as a team of people we're saying this would be a really important evaluation to have to get more diagnostic clarity to understand where some of the deficits are so that we are honing in on uh, like that we can craft our services and IEP goals and objectives to really meet this kid where they're at and those to me are the ones that feel the most satisfying because it's a group of people that all have this kid's best interest at heart from families from internal people working with the student who really feel like this is the way to kind of synthesize all that information and again Usually in those cases, the evaluators reaching out to the people that are with this kid every day and asking for, you know, again, there's a bunch of checklists that they fill out. When I see that happening, that to me is best practice. Again, in my opinion, that is best practice. It's not best practice for one person to show up with one child and give one side of, an, of, of the story and then an evaluator says, okay, here's what I'm gonna base everything I'm recommending on, your impressions of this child. And that's where I link it back to the story about Maya, but it was sort of on the reverse that a group of doctors in a hospital were saying, we don't believe this kid has this diagnosis. In fact, we think the mother's making it up for the Munchausen by proxy, you know, for her own gain and and attention and whatnot and psychological stuff. And the child may be embellishing because, oh, one minute we, I mean, it kind of makes me think of, um, the curious case of Natalia Grace, yeah. sorry to work that one in, <laughs> where they're, they're taking an isolated incident of like, well, she pushed the garbage can down the street, so obviously she has mobility and she's fine to live alone. Like, we can't be taking yeah. piecemeal oh, yeah. evidence and say, and even in this Maya case, the Maya herself said, there were days that I had more, you know, mobility, less pain, 
than other days. And if you're just looking at things myopically and saying, well, it's this moment, it's that moment, you're piecing it together, it's never the full puzzle. You're getting pieces from 17 different puzzles and trying to make one. It's not gonna happen. So she, as the child, is saying, I, this is happening to me, I feel this way. And she's saying, now doctors are talking about her saying, well, look, she's making it up. So I think you can look at both, both sides of it and say, what to me it boils down to is you need, you need to hear people out you need a holistic approach. You need multiple inputs to generate a reasonable way to practice, you know, way to way to implement um, your services for the best interest of the kid. I agree. I also there's it's funny as you're talking, I'm thinking of two situations, re- relatively recent situations that have happened with neuropsychologists. That one was a situation where this. Um, this doctor had been working with the child for a long time and the other one was a more recent doctor who had just done one um, evaluation for the student and both of them asked to observe the programs and the day-to-day of the student um, and they wanted that input and that observation themselves and I felt like anything I almost was like as we were walking through and they were discussing like oh here's like what we found and that's why this classroom may not be helpful for them or what like I trusted their insight so much more just because they wanted to come see it from themselves they wanted to hear mm-hmm. about things they wanted yep. like additional information but that observation really took it over the edge for me and I was like oh yeah we got this so I think to summarize having Holistic approach, Mm -hmm. equitable practices, watch, take care of Maya. I apologize, my dog's in the background with a cone, (laughs) so you might be able to hear him trying to get to his food. Poor guy. And um, really thinking about a kid from not just one unilateral standpoint. Mm -hmm. So Agreed. Agreed. All right, so now now for the would you rather. Would you rather be covered in fur or covered in scales? Oh, gosh. Oh. I, <laughs> oh gosh, that is a really hard one. Marcus, what do you think? Marcus would rather be covered in fur. You um, I am going to say probably scales. Really? Yeah. I don't like hair. So <laughs> I don't. I'm going to agree with you on fur. I just was asking really, like really. Oh. Because I feel like you, wear, you use a lot of lotion. I, yeah, so like being I think scaly would be difficult. I being feel like. scaly would be difficult, but I think that I could meet that challenge with yes, with the lotion. Yeah. Well, no one said you're allowed to wear lotion. Oh, well, what if you're allergic whatever. to the lotion? I'm saying scales. Okay, I will agree. Scales, um, which turned out, out to be a lot easier than I thought. Because at first I was like, fur or scales, fur, fur. Yeah. Anyway, no, too much, too much hair. So yeah, make sure you follow us on all of our socials. Um, we appreciate you listening. Hopefully, this was a valuable conversation. Watch. Take care of Maya. Watch. What's the other one that we were talking about? Mommy Dead and Dearest. Mommy Dead and Dearest. That's another good one. Um, And thanks for listening. At Unstuck Podcast 1. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.